You know, this week, I discovered that my two-year-old had learned a new word. We were in her living room sitting on the couch when she eyed the TV remote and in one quick maneuver snatched it off the side table before I could stop her. And then when I asked you, because two, two things are going to happen. She is going to grab the remote and she's going to throw it. And she loves that it goes open and she grabs the batteries. That's like her favorite thing. Or she's going to turn on the TV and I didn't want the TV on. So I, I, she, I, she was too quick for me. So I said, Charlie, can you please give me the remote? Damelo. And she was like, mine, mine. And I was like, taught you that you know I did not realize but it's this mine face right all toddlers go through it and um, some of us might think it's cute some might be annoyed by it I think parents you were there and I was surprised by it see it's around age two the toddlers begin to realize that they can control their possessions so in the limited language that they have, what they can figure out is to say, mine. So the reality is that toddlers like their possessions. You, you like your possessions. I like my possessions. Some of us love our possessions. See, and it's not only material things or money we possess. Some of us possess talents and abilities. For some, the most valuable possession of all is time. See, the thing about possessions is that instead of us possessing them, they sometimes possess us. Who owns who? And most Americans, that's you and I, we're Americans, possess so much, so much stuff that our car, poor car, has to be left out in the cold to fend for itself because you've displaced it out of a home because your garage is so full of stuff, right? Um, see, so much stuff that storage facilities have become a $38 billion industry. That's a huge number. See, and according to statistics, the average American household contains 300,000 items. Now, I didn't verify this. I wasn't going to sit there and try to count everything I have. I'm just going to take their word for it, okay? Um, let me give you another statistic. The U.S. has only 3.1 children uh, of the world's children. Okay, 3.1% of the world's children, but 40% of the world's toys. That's a lot, right? It's a huge percentage difference. And 1.2 trillion is spent annually on items Americans don't need. And I'm going to be the first to say guilty. Those Amazon boxes show up. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh. Who ordered? Oh, I ordered this. What did I order? I don't know. I don't remember what I ordered, right? Like, it happens to me, and I'm sure it happens to you. And guess what? There is forgiveness for our sins. Um, but it's this mine, mine, mine. And it seems like this toddler face maybe goes longer than expected. See, selfishness is deeply rooted in all of our hearts. And we have this 
problem. And in our hearts, if we allow it, there exists this five-letter word, G-R-E-E-D, greed. And it wants to dictate how you live your life. Um, Andy Stanley, great communicator and pastor, defines greed as this. He says, greed is the assumption that it is all for my consumption. See, greed has a way of keeping you from generosity. But today I want to let you know that you can reverse it and have generosity keep you from greed. See, you have a choice. So my question to you today is, will you choose to live a life of generosity or a life of greed? And I love the picture that Proverbs 11:24 paints as a contrasting picture of the two choices. And it says, the world of the generous gets a larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And see, here at Evergreen, we want to create a large world. See, we want to be the best place for kids, youth, and relationships, a place where people find and follow Jesus. So I need you to imagine with me extravagant generosity. See, if you've been here at Evergreen, even for one week, you've heard us say this. You are a generous church. And it's true. You are. So thank you for your generosity. Why? Why do we say that? Because we want to continue to be that best place where you live out this value of generosity, where you get to practice this life-changing value that we call extravagant generosity. Now, if I'm honest with you, I got the generosity part down of that value, but the extravagant, I'm still working on that one. We want to practice extravagant generosity here, near, and far. And it's the giving of our time, the giving of our talent, and the giving of our treasure. And it's not a mine, mine, mine attitude. And see, that's the attitude that the guy that we're going to read about today that Jesus shares, that's the attitude that he had. So I'm going to invite you. The story is found in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 31. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up or your Bible app. Or if you don't want to do either, you can just follow along in the screens. So Luke chapter 12, verse 13. It says, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our brother's estate with me. Um, and Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he went on to tell a story. He says, a rich man had a fertile farm and it produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all the other goods and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And then it says that God shows up and God says, you fool. 
you will die this very night, then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, the person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. See, another way to summarize that story that Jesus shares is a rich fool keeps, a rich relationship gives. And there is a part in this story where this man realizes how much he has. And see, he, we, we know that, that the one that gives the harvest, the one that brings the crops and brings growth is God. So we could say that he was blessed, right? He was blessed. So he realized he realizes how much he's blessed, how much he has. So he asked himself, not anyone else, not the community himself, because he's thinking to himself, man, what should I do? How should I solve this problem that I have? And he's trying to find a solution, right? He has more um, things than he has a room for. So in modern terms, he's probably trying to figure out how to fit it all in his garage and realizes, I need to get me some storage units. It's not going to all fit, right? And his solution is, I'm going to tear down the barns I have, and I'm going to build bigger ones so I have enough room. He had a choice to make, and instead of giving, which could have been a choice when you have a lot of things, he chose to build bigger barns. See, before Jesus started sharing the story, he gives us a warning, right? He says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Friend, greed and generosity, both are right there in your heart. And it's not, maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, this rich man is rich. Of course he has stuff. And like, I'm not rich, so I barely know. Let me tell you. Being generous or greedy has nothing to do with the money or all that you have or don't have. It is a matter of the heart. So if you have a heart, you're going to face these things, okay? And Jesus shares this story to illustrate how vital it is to keep from greed, to protect against it. And the way that this man thought about his possessions, including his time, shows us that he was not guarded. That there was no protection in place. His assumption was that it was all for his consumption. He thought, I'm going to use it all. All that I have, I'm going to use it for myself. Right? Now that I have enough room, I'm going to keep it all. And it's going to sustain me. For the rest of my life. And the way that I'm going to go about spending my time is drinking, eating, and being merry. I'm taking it easy. And for those of you, that's like Nacho Libre accent, so I'm trying to throw it in there. So some of you are like, why she keep saying that? You can thank Nacho Libre for that. Every time I read those words, it's just come, take it easy. No, anyway, sorry. Anyways, moving on. In other words, um, <clears throat> What this guy was saying is my time is going to be about me, mine. That is how his plan was laid out to spend the rest of his life. And yeah, he's probably, he had probably worked hard for all those crops. Doing that is a lot of work. I've read, I've never done it, which I've only read and seen people do it. Crop work is a lot of work. So I'm sure he had worked hard. But his plan 
was to make his time and his things all about him to be self-centered. And so the question that we want to answer is, how do we guard against greed? Well, I think Jesus gives us a way. He says to change the way we think about money and possessions. See, in that same chapter uh, 12 of Luke, verses 22 to 33, Jesus says, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. See, in Jesus' day, food was a legitimate concern. There was no uh, easy way to preserve food. There was no refrigeration. So that was a legit concern that people had. And clothes was expensive. There was no fast fashion. There was no thrifting or Uber Eats. So they had to really figure that out. See, but Jesus says, I want you to look at the lilies and pay attention to the birds. I wonderfully care for them. And you are so much more valuable than birds. Then he says, the way that you prioritize your life needs to change. You need to give it a new order. And he gives us the order. He says in verse 33 of that chapter, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Does it mean you give up everything you have? No, he says he will meet your every need, but your priority, your first thing, first thing first should be God and his kingdom, his kingdom. So then he goes on to say, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasures for you in heaven and the purses of heaven will never get old or develop holes. Heaven's bank, you can bank on. Your treasure will be safe. And then he goes on to say, because where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your heart will follow the money. Your heart will follow the treasure. So Jesus is telling us to live a life that is God first, God dependent, God centered. And this man in the story did not set himself up to depend on God. Instead, he set himself up to be independent, right? Not in relationship. He put himself first. And remember, in this story, Jesus says a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. So this prompts the question, how do you get to have a rich relationship with God? How do I do that? What does it look like? And I think that what is recorded in John 17 is a great example. See, Jesus has this intimate heart conversation with his father, God. And he is telling them, and it's coming close to Jesus' time of crucifixion. And he's communicating with his father and he's asking him for help. And Jesus is showing this. He is showing dependency on God. He is saying, I am relying on you. I don't have this, but you do. 
and you got me. God first, not my will, but yours be done. See, a life that is rich in relationship is one where there is dependency and communication. See, dependency is placing our trust in someone else for help. It's a reliance, a confidence on God. And so, I, you know, it made me think the first time, the first time that I ever received um, a $1,000 Christmas gift years ago. And I remember there was a part of me that was really excited and like, yes, like, I was working at a church, so we had no expectation whatsoever of any gift at all. But when I got it, I was just like, yes, I'm going to tithe, and then I'm going to go shopping, anthropology, here I come. I love that store. But then I remembered something that I had learned, and uh, it was that, you know what, this is not my money. It's God's money. And it's in my bank account. That means I get to manage it. I get to steward it. So I paused and I decided maybe I should pray and ask God um, what this money's for. Or like, I wasn't expecting this, so what am I supposed to do with it? Um, and so um, I said, okay, God, I know you blessed me to be a blessing. I say it all the time. I tell it to people all the time. But it's time for me to live it up. So tell me, what's up? Like, what's up, God? What do you want me to do with this? And within minutes, I remembered that there was a nonprofit that served youth that was doing amazing work, work equipping youth workers in urban settings. And I had told myself that one day I wanted to donate to them. And that day came. I said, okay, today is your one day. And I decided that I would give more than half. And I did get to save some. And then I also got to spend some, not as much as I would have wished for. But anyway, you know, there it is, the greed and the generosity at war in my heart. Um, but I had decided not mine, but God's. And see, the assumption a lot of us make is that what we own, what we have, our money, our possessions, our time, our gifts, our talents, our hours and hours alone. But what the Bible teaches is something different. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Friend, that includes you and everything you have. See, for the believer, it is a first, uh, seek first kind of living. Seek first, the kingdom, means we put God first. It's an others first and me second. And I'm not saying you don't take care of your family and take care of your needs. Please do. But it means we prioritize how can we help? How can we serve? How can I be part of what God is doing here? And see, um, when you give first, you are choosing to trust and depend on Jesus. The rich man in the story chose to keep all of his resources. If you can imagine the eulogy that was told about him, 
must have gone something like this. So-and-so, he ate, he drank, and he was married. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want that to be my legacy. See, he came to the end of his life, and everything he worked for was meaningless. His possessions stayed behind because we all know the money doesn't go with us when we leave this earth. So I want you to know that your earthly resources, your time on earth, are meant to have eternal impact. As a believer, the investment you make here on earth can transcend into eternity. Whether it's serving, giving of your time and your talent, or giving a percentage of your income first. One of the things I'm really grateful for here at Evergreen is that we have a group of men and women, a council, that give of their time. They give of their talent. They have an understanding of finances. And believe me, some of the questions they ask, I'm like, um, it's a really good question. I'm going to write that one down. You know, like, and it's good. I like it. They have a wisdom about finances that makes us better. And I'm so glad we have as a community of faith. And they are giving of their time, but they're also giving of their talent not to mention their treasure. Director Steven Spielberg tells the story of Oscar Schindler, a man who saved 1,100 Jews from the Holocaust. And see, Schindler's strategy was to use his power and influence as a member of the Nazi party to keep Jewish people working as employees instead of sending them off to the death camps. And in the movie, there is a powerful scene that I want you to see. Let's watch. scene. I know it's hard to hear what he was saying, but he realizes that even after he saved all the people that he saved in this scene, that there's a car, and that car could have saved 10 more people. Then he notices the pin, and he says, this could have saved two more people. 
And he says, I could have done more. There could have been one more person. And see, what Jesus says is life is measured by what you give, not what you possess. And you can leverage your earthly resources and possessions for the kingdom. This story says that he leverages what he had his power and his influence to save the lives of people. Will you and I, friend, have the ability to leverage what God has given us for his kingdom? See, I want you to imagine living a life of, and I quoted Jared Roth on this, kingdom investing rather than personal possessing. I want you to imagine the people that you'll meet that have found and followed Jesus because your generosity made a forever difference in their lives. What Jesus did on the cross for you and me made a forever difference. Would you think of that as we participate in communion today? I'm going to invite you. If you don't have a cup, would you raise your hand and our connections team will get one to you. But if you do, just open up the first layer to get to the wafer. God is so generous. He is a giver. John 3, 16 says that he was rich in generosity for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So not only did God give his best possession, he gave first because it says while we were still sinners, he gave. right where you are. We're going to participate in communion in just a minute. I really wanted to make space. If you are here and maybe you've not placed your faith in Jesus or you're joining us online and you're hearing me and you've not placed your faith in Jesus, you've not chosen, you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to invite you. Would you consider that invitation today? Would you consider placing your faith in Jesus? He loved you. He died on the cross. The third day he rose again so that you would know God's love and forgiveness for your life. God could have said mine, but instead he gave. So if that's you and that's a decision you want to make today, you want to decide to follow Jesus today, I invite you in your heart, in your mind for you to say, Jesus, my decision is for you today. And Father, we thank you for every heart and every decision that is being made in this room. And now we turn to the generosity of God in giving us Jesus. And I invite you to take the wafer in your hand. Father, we want to lift up 
what this wafer represents. And it's the body of Jesus, your son, that was given for us so that we would have forgiveness of sins, but so that we would also have eternal life. So it is with gratitude that we come to this moment. Thank you for your generosity, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for making a way for us. Lord, we love you. And we receive your generosity today. You can partake of the bread. And when you're ready, you can partake of the cup. take a step in the direction of generosity, I know that I am moving from fear to love. And friends, I couldn't let you leave today with some practical application of how you can live this out. We talked about reordering our priorities, but I just want to give you very practical things. And if you're here and you're part of our evergreen community, if you're a believer in Jesus, and you're here and you've been part of this, but you've never thought, oh, how can I give of my time? And you're not giving of your time anywhere. We want to invite you. We have so many great opportunities coming up, but even now with, with e-kids and youth and greeters and connections, we have opportunities for you. So if you haven't considered how you can give of your time, would you pray and talk to the Lord, how can I give of my time? Where can I serve? How can I leverage my time for the kingdom? Or your talent. I don't know if you've noticed, but we have very talented people up here. And I know that there's many more talented people out there. You're kind of incognito, but we see you. And we, we are missing out. We want you to leverage the talent that God's given you for his kingdom. And maybe you're here. And you've not considered ever giving of your income to God. Carlos and I, we made a decision early on that we would give a percentage of our income to God first, to the church. And then we would give to other organizations that we have uh, an ability to give to. And when we started this, we didn't have a lot. And we still don't have a lot. We give because we know that it's going to be leveraged. It's going to be used, and it can impact eternity forever. So I'm inviting you. Maybe you've been part of this community. Maybe you've been faithful, and you, you, you give a percentage of your income. But I don't know about you, but sometimes you're like, you don't even feel it because it's so comfortable. And maybe you need to step into a new point of like, you know, when I first gave, I was like, oh, this is going to, like, how am I going to make it, Lord? It's going to be really hard, but I'm going to trust that you are faithful and that you are going to come through for me. So I'm inviting you to practice generosity extravagant 
I'm telling you, I'm still working on the extravagant part. I want you to work on it too. So if you've never given, that you would give today. Or if you are giving, that you would say, God, how can I trust you more? Because we want to be a church that helps people find and follow Jesus here, near, and far. But remember, thank you, because you are a generous church. Be blessed, Evergreen. We love you.